we are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, hello, hello, good morning. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, let me add my welcome to Nicholas and say hi. Um, so good to have you with us. My name's Chris and uh, I, I have the privilege of serving at Centrepoint Church by leading our leadership team and uh, I love to do that, it's a great joy and it's good to be with you each week um, and uh, yeah, it's good, it's good to gather together on our, our last morning of looking at the Beatitudes. Um, each week we preach from the Bible and this week's no different and so um, I'd love you to get your Bibles out, you can uh, start to turn, turn to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in that this morning. Um, it might be that you didn't bring a Bible with you and so you can have one of our Centrepoint Bibles to look at this morning, just stick your hand in the air and uh, one of our team will bring you one to your seat and it might be that the reason your hand is in the air is because you just don't own a Bible and if that is the case, we also say this every week, you can keep it, it's a free gift, it will bless you, write your name in it, have it, read it, it will be good, it will do you good. Um, and uh, the, the, our last thing just to mention then is that I'm really pleased to let you know that next week... We're going to be starting our new series, it's our summer series, uh, which is called Inspired, and um, it's going to run from now to the beginning of September, and during that series, you're going to have a whole range of speakers, and they're going to be um, just preaching from the Bible on different characters that has inspired them, and how they can inspire you, and um, actually next week, I'm going to kick off that one, but then it would be lots of different speakers, and, uh, and next week, I'm going to look at Hannah. Um, who's a wonderful woman of God in the Bible. And at the end, actually, we're going to bring the children back in early from their groups and we're going to do some baby dedications. And so it'll be a real special morning. So I encourage you to come along to that. It'll be good. So here's a question for you. Have you ever been falsely accused of something? Have you ever been falsely accused of something? It's quite possible that you would have whether it's, you know, it could be something really silly. You're sitting in a group of people, someone farts, and you get accused of it. Um, it could be something much more serious. You, uh, I don't know, all sorts of different things. I remember when I became a Christian, right? I became a Christian, and um, on that, um, during those few weeks, my life changed quite, quite radically. I just, I don't know, I, I stopped swearing. I stopped kind of really getting drunk as much I stopped um, kind of really uh, I just my life I just started to change in all sorts of ways and I remember um, just being accused by my friends of being really judgmental and um, sort of I don't know higher than thou like all righteous or something and you know what I never talked to them about any of it really I was a bit embarrassed and and shy and and I, ne I didn't really say anything to them I just my lifestyle just started to change and they started to see a difference in my life and they interpreted that as me now judging them and they accused me of all sorts of things and I lost probably 80% of my friends all gone in, in a couple of weeks and uh, and I, I was accused of something and I felt I was falsely accused I, I hadn't really done anything I mean maybe maybe there was something in there but I, I didn't feel like I had maybe today 
you have had a moment at week over the last few weeks or months, uh, at work, sorry, and you've been accused of something. Maybe you've been accused of something in your family, in your relationship, or it is possible that as we go through life, we are falsely accused of things. And do you know what? If that is you, then you're in good company. Let me uh, give you some examples from the Bible. Joseph in Genesis 39, um, he was sold into slavery by his brothers and um, his brothers told his parents that he was dead. He was sold into slavery, abandoned, and he managed to find good favour in Egypt. He was sold and uh, went down to Egypt and he was uh, a slave in a household. He found good favour in this household and became the manager of the household. And um, when he was in that management position, the boss's wife came onto him and strongly. And you would think for a guy who has been abandoned, betrayed, let go, um, parents think he's dead, brothers don't care about him, that he would be like, yeah, this is the least I deserve. Let's crack on. But he didn't. He, instead, his, his eyes weren't on her but were on God. And he, he gets out of there as fast as he can, but he didn't manage to get out of the situation before she managed to grab hold of his coat. And then she takes that coat to her husband and accuses him of trying to rape her. And the only reason that she has his coat is because when she screamed, he ran away so he wouldn't get caught and left his coat behind. He was falsely accused. What about Moses? He, uh, you know, that Joseph was in Genesis. You get into Exodus and you find Moses. And uh, Moses, uh, he was brought into the world under really difficult circumstances. He was adopted by King Pharaoh's daughter. And he's raised an Egypt, as an Egyptian for 40 years. That's, that's all he knows. He kind of goes through the University of Egypt and learns all this wealth and understanding. But through that time, he finds out about his birth month. And he finds out that he used to be, he was born to a group of people called the Israelites, which are like the people of God. And that they are actually slaves to the Egyptians, to the power and authority that he's been raised up in into this household. Um, in one mad moment, he sees an Egyptian beating up an Israelite and he goes and stops that. He ends up actually killing the man. And then, because he's killed the man, obviously he then flees and goes off into the wilderness. And then in Exodus, we then read about how he then spends another 40 years in the wilderness raising cattle. And he's got a wife and, and uh, kids. And at 80 years old, God speaks to him and says, no, come on, I want you to go back to Fair King Pharaoh and encourage him to let those people go. Those people that you've, you've kind of abandoned and left and run into the wilderness, I want you to go back there and encourage them to let them go. And uh, you, you, you may have heard the story. Um, if you haven't, he, he does. He goes back to Pharaoh. There's, there's all sorts of this back and forth where Pharaoh says, yeah, I'm going to let you go. And then God sends a plague and then he doesn't. And, um, and he has to go back and forth, back and forth. And finally, he does let them go, but then changes his mind again and chases them to the Red Sea. And God does an amazing miracle. They cross over the Red Sea on dry land. And he, Moses brings the people uh, towards the promised land. And as he does that... Life gets quite tricky. Moses has led the people, done all this stuff, saved them from slavery, and do you know what? Then all the people turn on him. 
And in Numbers 14 and Numbers 16, you can read about how they challenge his credentials. They challenge his motives. They're, they're sceptical about the results. They insult him and accuse him of killing the Lord's people out in the wilderness and say, oh, why, wouldn't, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? At least there we had food. And now you've taken us away. And, and he is falsely accused of having bad motives and a bad heart and not having the right credentials to have been the person to go. Carry on into the Old Testament and you can get to the book of 1 Samuel and we're introduced to a king called Saul. He's actually the first king of this people that have now resided in the land. And um, over the chapters we see how Saul loves God and how he follows him, but then more and more he relies on himself and his own strength and and actually becomes a very insecure man. We're also introduced to a guy called David, who's a, he's a, a young shepherd boy. And in 1 Samuel 17, there's this moment where um, this big, mighty man from the Philistines called Goliath comes and challenges the Israelites, the people of God, and everyone cowers away. The person that was meant to go out and face Goliath was King Saul. That was his role as commander of the army, as the chief. And, he, and he's also the uh, tallest man amongst the Israelites. The, the Bible records that he is a, a head above everyone else. But he, he cows away because he's insecure. No one else who's in the trained army. And then this young shepherd boy says, oh, well, I'll go and face him. Because I trust that just as God has um, helped me fight the lions and the bears, he, he will help me fight here. I, he trusted in God's promises and stood firm. He goes and does that and uh, wins a mighty battle and then uh, Saul then puts him in charge of the army and he starts to lead the army and then Saul starts to turn on him and uh, starts to worry about um, David's might and power. The people start following him and he believes that David is trying to um, mount like an, a, a battle against the kingship that Saul has. And so... He, he hunts him and chases him and tries to kill him and destroy him. He, he accuses him of all these different things. Life gets really difficult for him and um, he ends up having to run away. We'll, we'll come back to some of these stories later to find out what happens. You carry on to go through the Old Testament, you'll find people like Jeremiah, who again was falsely accused and abandoned, and Amos as well. And then you get into the New Testament, and there's all sorts of examples of different people who are falsely accused. And one, one of the guys that I love is a guy called Stephen. And you can read about him in Acts chapter 6 and 7 and 8. And Stephen, he was, he was like an amazing administrator. He had the gift of operations. He was a logistical guy. And he was put in charge of distribution distributing food uh, for the people of God. He loved God when was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He followed Jesus and um, what happened was that the religious elite of the day, they tried to argue with him and when he gave his answers, they persuaded other people to come up with false testimony against him, to kind of say that, oh, he's trying to, um, oh, he's going to like, he's, he's saying that, um, him and his people are going to destroy all the Romans and they're going to overtake uh, this area. And that wasn't true, but they were twisting things that he said. They were brought false allegations against him. And then throughout chapter 7, you get a, an amazing speech that Stephen then delivers where he basically talks through what I've just done. 
He talks about Abraham and how Abraham was falsely accused. He talks about Moses and, and how the ancestors like try to accuse Moses and falsely accuse Moses and um, try to kill him. He, he goes on and talks about how they even killed like the, the prophets if throughout the Old Testament that prophesied that Jesus was going to come. And um, he, he says this, you're a stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still um, not righteous. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Where there was ever a prophet, um, your ancestors always tried to persecute them. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you've even betrayed him and murdered him. And when the members of this like Jewish elite that were uh, accusing him heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up at heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and, the, and Jesus, the Son of Man, standing by next to God. And, uh, and what they did was the, the religious elite that brought these false accusations, they covered their ears like children ah, and yelled um, at the top of their voices. This is what it says in, in uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 57. They yelled at the top of their voices and they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they stoned him. Stephen was falsely accused. False testimony came up against him and he was beaten and killed for it. Why do I bring up all these, these things, all these people? Because as we get to the last beatitude, this is Jesus' like kind of kingdom mandate for what it is to know human flourishing. This is Jesus' kingdom mandate for how to know fullness of life and happiness of life and how to flourish in it. And it doesn't end flourishing in those whose lives are bliss, who have financial security, who have wealth and happiness, who are adored by their peers, who never face any troubles, who have high popularity stakes, who are never misunderstood. No, the culmination of Jesus' statement on human flourishing, on how to know joy and peace in this life, is in Matthew chapter, seven, chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, and it says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted all the prophets, all the people in the past who were before you. It's quiet Counterculture, isn't it, what Jesus is saying? This is what it means to, this is the culmination of these nine weeks where Jesus has been talking about what does it mean to know human flourishing, happiness and joy, fullness of life. It's to, to know rejoicing and joy and gladness in the midst of persecution, in the midst of false accusation, in the midst of insults. Notice that he doesn't say, if you are falsely accused on account of me. He says, when? If you are someone who has put your trust in Jesus, who knows him, there are times it will come when you get falsely accused because of your faith in Jesus. And it is on that. It's on account of me. It's not just any kind of false accusation. It's on account of me. When you follow me, Jesus says, it's not the easy road, it's tough. If you ever thought that being a Christian was about having an easy life and uh, knowing all sorts of different things, well, that's not certainly what Jesus experienced. It's not what 11 of the 12 disciples experienced. And even John, the, the, on, the only disciple that didn't die for his faith or wasn't murdered for his faith, even he experienced all sorts of different hardships. And it's not what many of the people throughout the whole of the Old Testament experienced. 
but they did know flourishing and they did know joy and they did know happiness and peace in life even in the midst of persecution death and all sorts of accusation and so how should we react to all this kind of stuff because uh, our culture tells us something very very different to what it is to know flourishing and joy and happiness um, we have rights don't we? We have rights in our culture. We need to uphold our rights and know our rights and stand by our rights and don't ever let them go. And our culture tell, encourages us to treat us, to, to know our rights and stand for them. And we want to retaliate, an eye for an eye. Or oh, you made your bed, so lie in it. I've heard that this week. If, uh, yeah, if we're insulted, we're encouraged to insult back. No accidents can happen anymore. Do you know that? An accident can't happen. It doesn't, doesn't exist. If something goes wrong, the finger starts wagging. Whose fault is it? PPI, it must be someone's fault. It must be someone has done something wrong. And often it's not the individual. It's never the child's fault or the parent's fault. It's always what the school doing about it, what the police doing about it, what are the institutions doing about it, what's the government doing about it. We love to point the finger and ultimately what we want is blood. We want blood. They did something wrong. They deserve the pair, the punishment for that thing they did wrong. We want blood. Do you know what? In Jesus, you've got it. You've got someone who bears all the weight of your sin, who shed his blood to forgive, that you can come and receive forgiveness from, that you can, through that, know how to forgive others. Often there's five different types of reactions that I can have to when people uh, accuse me of something. Sometimes I can have them all at the same time. The first one is that it's really easy to doubt yourself to allow the lies of the human enemy, or even sometimes the spiritual enemy, to pull your identity away from Christ. Tell you, no, you're not a son of God. You've messed up. They accuse you. They say, oh, you know, you're a sinner. If they really know what you were like, then you wouldn't be allowed in this place. You wouldn't be welcome. You're a hypocrite. It's, the, it's lies. It's, no, no, I, I, yeah, no, I know I'm a sinner. And the reason why I can come and praise God and trust him is because I've been forgiven. Because... My sin has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. Their blood was given. You Sometimes I can, you can feel paralysed by fear, fear of other people, haunted that you, that you have like a soiled reputation and you're, you're convinced that that reputation that, you've, that is now soiled is just going to follow you around forever. And, and that can be something that just paralyses you and causes you fear and, and you want to react out of that. Sometimes you can feel tormented with regret. Oh, I wish I had the power to rewind that so that I could be proactive in protecting my own boundaries and prevent any of this thing possibly happening sometimes you can be enraged and anger as you and you want to go to, on the warpath and exact vengeance on your accuser and sometimes I know personally I can feel immediately I transform into some kind of defense attorney and I come up with all sorts of things that I'm going to say and if they might say this and I'm going to say that and they might say that and I'm going to say this and I want to restore my reputation and you know, all these things are natural human things. But none of these things are the things that the people in the Bible did. The, the people that I mentioned about earlier. Let's, let's go back through them and see what they did. So Joseph, this guy who sold into slavery, given up, accused by his boss's wife of sleeping with him. What happened? Well, Joseph trusted God. He put his trust in him and it got him into trouble and 
but what he did is he, he chose to trust God in it all anyway, and he ended up in prison, and he was there for several years. And when he was there, was he grumpy and angry and frustrated? No. What did he do? No, he praised God. He prayed to him. He trusted in him. Uh, he, he was even willing for God to fill him with the Holy Spirit and gave him gifts. He was interpreting dreams for, for different people and he stayed good-hearted. He remained joyful. Uh, it's this whole rejoice and be glad. Uh, he, he did that. We even read at the very far end, uh, at Genesis 50, you don't get this bitter old man because what happens is the brothers return. They, they come in and they, they try to ask him for food and uh, because he's he ends up becoming like the prime minister of the whole of Egypt and they, they come and they're asking him for food and you don't find a bitter old angry man waiting to exact vengeance on those people that have sold him into slavery. No, you find a man who's completely in love with God and because he has received forgiveness, he forgives his brothers. And he says, no, don't worry about it. What you meant for evil, I know that God meant for good, for the saving of many lives. And now look, Joseph put in a position where he could save not only the nation of Egypt's lives, but many of the lives all around him. God did an amazing thing. He trusted God in it anyway. What about David? David, he took it to God and he was honest with God. This is, uh, this is interesting because I didn't expect this. So Psalm 109 is David, uh, a prayer of David to God. And he says this, my heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Oh, no, sorry, that's 108. 109. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying, and t with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. And I'm thinking, oh, this is, you know, David, he's a righteous man. And now he's going to ask God to forgive them as well. But he goes on. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemies. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is um, tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wa wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. Uh, he goes on and on. And uh, he's basically asking God to exact vengeance on the people that have accused him. Do you know what he's doing? He's being honest with God. He's coming before God and he's bearing all his thoughts and all his feelings. The Psalms are full of honest prayers. It's not, the Bible doesn't say, take all your anger and all your feelings and just bury it. No, he says, bring it to the right place. That's to God. Bring it to God. Be honest with God and then what you'll find is that you will be able to maintain your integrity. And that's exactly what David does. Because you know what? Um, there is a moment in 1 Samuel chapter 24 where this guy Saul, who's been accusing uh, David, who's been chasing him around, who's been hunting him down, he hunts him down to, to uh, all, all over the country and David is hiding and cowering in a cave. And this is what 1 Samuel 24 is all about. He's hiding and cowering in a cave. And Saul is outside and they're trying to find him and they can't find him anywhere. And there's this moment where Saul, the Bible says, Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. He doesn't spot that David's there. He goes into the cave to relieve himself. And whilst he's doing that, I, I just imagine that he's standing. But he could be sitting, but I'm pretty sure he's standing. 
you can decide for yourself. Um, whilst he's doing that, <laughs> uh, sorry, whilst he's doing that, um, David sneaks up to him and slits his throat. No, he doesn't. David sneaks up to him and he tears a bit of his cloak. And, uh, and then he just hides back in the cave. And then Saul goes out of the cave and they start walking off. And then David comes after Saul and, and shows him the, the, the little bit of cloak. And he basically says, look, far be it from me to kill or do anything bad to the person who is the rightful like, king, which is Saul at the time. And in that moment, Saul was like, he can't believe it. He can't believe, you know, he has been hunting him around for ages and ages, trying to kill this guy. David has a chance to kill him. He doesn't exact vengeance on him. No, he trusts in God. He keeps his integrity. But that doesn't mean that he, he wasn't honest with God. He was. We read it in Psalm 109. He goes and he takes the right frustration to God. He puts it in the right place. And then he's able to walk in with integrity in his life. He's able to uphold his own dignity. And he's able, he, even in that moment, he trusts God to, to do the right thing. He doesn't trust in his own kind of ability to be a just judge in this situation. He says, no, I'm going to give it to you, God, knowing that you are the just judge overall, and I'm going to walk this life as you've called me to. It's interesting, isn't it? That's how he deals with his accuser. Um, what about Moses? Moses, what does he do? He goes and he prays. He goes and spends time praying towards God. He receives wisdom from God. And you know what? God then does another amazing miracle whilst he gives something called manna from heaven, which is like bread. And, and each morning, the Israelites, they come out and they find bread and, and God feeds them. And then later on, it's like whale eggs, I think, or fish, something. And he feeds them with that. And so they get the protein as well. God just does an amazing work um, through that and uh, provides through that. And then Stephen... So we read a little about what Stephen said earlier. He said, look, I see the heaven, the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And they cover their ears, they drag him out and they stone him. And uh, it says, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at a young man named Saul. And Saul is the name for Paul before Paul became a Christian. Paul, the guy who wrote like half of the New Testament books. And so you've got this guy, Saul, who at this moment in time is presiding over the death and the stoning of a Christian. Because he, he, is, he, he hates Christians at this moment. And he's presiding over this. And he, um, he's, look, he's, he's sort of seeing all that's going on and approving, giving his approval for all that's going on. And people come and they, they kind of praise him for it. And so, oh, well done. Later on, uh, God turns that whole situation around for good and Paul ends up, you know, being like one of the, you know, the most greatest evangelists and teachers and preachers of all time. But, um, and I'm going to come back to that later on, but while they were stoning him, it, the Acts chapter 7 verse 59 records this. Stephen says, his last few words are, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, he died. Stephen's reaction to false accusation, to be even being stoned to death on account of Jesus, was not exacting vengeance, it was not holding up his rights, it was forgiveness. And he, he forgave those people in front of him for what they did. 
I wonder where he learned that from. It's from Jesus, because he did exactly the same. And do you know what? These kinds of reactions to when we are falsely accused, to when people come and, and bring all sorts of allegations against us when they insult us, these are not natural reactions. I, you see that, right? They're not natural. They're, they're supernatural. And actually, they... And I'm not surprised by that, because the person who speaks this into us is Jesus. And do you know what? He, from his life, all, from his birth, you know, it's a supernatural birth, all the way through to his death and resurrection, he lived a life that was naturally supernatural. He was man and God, and he encouraged us to live in the same way. Not that we are man and God, but he encouraged us to come and to follow him. And when he speaks through the Beatitudes, he, he is showing us that none of these things are things that anyone can just naturally do on their own right. No, no, you can only do them through God filling with you the Holy Spirit. Um, so, yeah, so let's just talk about those Beatitudes. It starts off, the Beatitudes start off by saying, blessed, so Jesus went to the crowds, he went onto the mountainside, he sat down, he talked to them, and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus starts off the Beatitudes by saying that in order to flourish, in order to know uh, goodness and grace and to know peace and life to the full in order to know all these things then first of all you need to know that you have nothing to offer God that you have you're absolutely bankrupt of anything good in your life the world will tell you that oh everyone's good and sometimes messes up the bible says no no everyone is bad everyone you cut them in half and they're just repulsive there is sin is at the nature of their life Every single person has messed up in all sorts of different ways, every single one of us here, including me, that we are utterly sinful. But, but whilst we were sinners, in the state of our sin, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. This is what Romans tells us. And he sent his son to live a life and to die so that we might know him and put our trust in him. And when you know that, when you know that you are poor in spirit, you have nothing to offer God, you, that is a good place to start. That is the foundation for all the rest of the Beatitudes. And when you know that, you, it goes on, it says, blessed are those who mourn. You, you realise the state of your sin and the sin around you and, and the chaos of the world and you mourn this and you're deeply regretful and you think, God, I'm so sorry, you repent because you're now alive to your sin, you're alive to the mess around you and, and you're mourning this and, and then you're able to be meek, which is humble. You, in humility, you come before God and, and you say, God, I'm so sorry and I, I repent on behalf of myself and on behalf of my nation and all that we've done wrong and, and, uh, and you, you come with humility before God and, and then rather than hungering and thirsting for all the things of this world and for bread and water and clothing and money and finance, though that all those things might be good, you hunger and thirst for a righteousness. For You hunger and thirst for the things of God and you want to see him in your life and you want to see him uh, work in your life and you want to see his righteousness and, and his credit and his account of goodness put on your life and not your own. You don't seek your own, but you seek his. And then you are able to show mercy. Why? Because you've received mercy. Because the Bible says that his mercy is in you every day and God doesn't deal with you and treat you as you deserve. You deserve all sorts of uh, punishment for your sin, but instead God 
clothes you with righteousness and upholds you and gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you grace, this unearned, undeserved, unmerited gift. It's a free gift that you can receive freely and accept. And he shows you mercy. And then you're able to uh, interact with the world around you and show other people mercy and be kind to them. And, and you know, all of this leads to someone with a pure heart. That's all about having the, uh, the same motive that matches up with your actions. That you don't just do something for the praise of man or for other people with different motives. No, no, your motives and your actions are pure. You have a pure heart. You, when you ask someone how they're doing and, and, I don't know, you don't just say, oh, sorry to hear that and just walk away because you don't really care. No, you're, you're generally sorry. You generally want to know how someone here. It's like a simple example, but your, your motives are pure and you want good. And, and so it means that when you are walk, I think this is quite a key one because it means that it's always a good one to check, especially in your own heart. Because when you do something and then you're accused of something else, you want to check, actually, did I have maybe a secret motive to do the thing that they're accusing me of? Or was I pure in heart? I think David, for example, genuinely wasn't trying to usurp Saul's reign as king. He was just trusting God, following him. He was obedient to God. Same for Moses, same for all of them, Abraham. They're just trying to trust God. And God brings about all sorts of different positions for them to fulfill. And some of them are, are like in prison or on the run. And some of them are being the prime minister of a country. But wherever that thing is, they need to check. I'm, Am I doing this for my own gain and my own glory? Or am I doing it just simply because I want to worship God? So, you know, church leaders, we have to ask ourselves that all the time. Am I doing this for my own gain, my own glory? Or am I doing it actually because I just trust that God is, has asked me to do this role in this season for this time? And when it's my time to step away, will I do that willingly? Because it wasn't mine anyway. This church isn't mine anyway. It's God's church. That's the right heart. Or would I hang on to, no, this is my religion, this is my platform, I can't let anyone... No, no, that's, that's a bad heart. And so we have to check our heart all the time because we're human and we can sin. So we have to check our heart and we all need to do that. And at those people that are pure of heart, do you know what? They see all sorts of struggle and strife and things going on in the world and they, they, they go to make peace in the world, peace between God and man. They, they go and bring the good news of the, the gospel. They encourage people, hey, do you know what? I know this is a struggle. Hey, you, need, you, need, can, you can know a God who relates to you, who knows what you're going through and you can help them to come to know God. And we heard last week about how blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness because they can receive the kingdom of God. And it's possible that you go through this life and you're persecuted and then we get to this, this final one. And it's blessed are those when, when people insult you and, and again persecute you and falsely accuse you and say all kinds of things against you. You can rejoice and be glad. You can know flourishing in those moments and great is your reward and it's not on earth. Your reward isn't on earth. It rarely is. You'll rarely see the fruit of your labour. But it is in heaven. And so you trust that there's, there's good to come and God can, can turn all things in your life to good for those who love him. That's, that's a promise in the Bible. It comes through over and over again. And, and it came through even through being imprisoned, even Stephen through being stoned. An amazing good came as Saul came in and saw that and then God spoke to him, revealed his son Jesus to him and then suddenly Paul has an amazing ministry. Do you know what? I believe that it started right here as he stood there and he saw someone dying for his faith. And he probably wondered, why on earth would they do that? And God turned something that was utterly horrendous into good for many, many people, for the saving of many lives. And this happens all the way through. Do you know what? I, I mentioned that this isn't natural. It's not, it's not natural. Well, we should 
it's only supernatural. It comes from knowing Jesus. That's how we're able to do any of these things. And you know what? Jesus is someone who does. He, he knows all that we're going through. And this is, I'm going to finish by just talking about Jesus because he was one who throughout his whole life, he was falsely accused of all sorts of different things. Even from his birth, he was accused. He was, he was accused of having an illegitimate uh, mother and father. And so people would mock him and say, oh, yeah, you're Mary's son because you're not really Joseph's son, because we know that Mary had sex before you were married. Although, obviously, we know it's the Holy Spirit, um, and it wasn't. She, she didn't. She was a virgin. But his legitimacy as, as a child was questioned. Where he comes from was questioned. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Hey, you might get that. Nothing good comes from this county or that county or that country. He was rejected by his family. Even his brothers didn't, didn't believe him. Go then, Jesus, if you can really, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you turn this to that? It wasn't until later, and then you can read James, and James was one of his brothers, and, and then he did. He was betrayed by his friends, the disciples. You know, we heard about Peter betraying him. He was accused of engaging in sin with prostitutes, and all he was really doing was sitting with them and welcoming them in and spending time with them. But he was engaged of, in, like, in being involved in their sin. He was, engaged, he was accused of being demonic. He was accused of um, breaking all the, the laws of the Old Testament, like collecting grain on the Sabbath. He was accused um, by people who gave false testimony against him. And uh, he was accused of um, telling, the, telling people not to give taxes to, to Caesar and to the Roman Empire. And actually, we all, well, you may not know, but actually Jesus says, give to Caesar what Caesar's. But that was twisted and he was accused of saying, no, no, don't, don't give anything to them, but keep your own taxes. He was wrongfully arrested uh, at night time. Do you know, when you were arrested in that culture, it should have been done during the day. And so Jesus, he, he kind of says, hey, why do, I've been speaking at the temple. I've been saying all this at the temple. Why don't you come and arrest me then? Instead, they come, you know, in the garden of Gethsemane. It's late at night. The disciples can't even stay awake. They're, they're asleep. And uh, at night, this mob comes and arrest him. That was illegal. They, they shouldn't have done that. They then take him to the Sanhedrin, which is like the religious, the Jewish elite, and they trial him. This is in the middle of the night. And again, that's illegal. You're not allowed to do that. It was meant to be in the day with witnesses. And um, we, we know that happens. And, and then as we, he gets to the morning time, Peter betrays him. And you know it's the morning because the, the cockroach crows. Or whatever that is. And um, he, he realises, oh, I've, I've messed up. And... Um, and they, they are falsely accusing, they falsely apprehended him, they didn't follow their law, they, they did it all wrong. It was all in the wrong order, but they still managed to get him to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate looks, looks at him and says, well, because they're saying, oh, look, he's, he's going to bring a kingdom that's going to overcome yours. And Jesus says, no, my kingdom's not of this world. So it's of something different. So Pilate uh, goes back and says, look, he's, he, there's nothing, there's, he's done nothing wrong. Because back then, the only way of being crucified was if you did something against Rome. If you did something against the Jews, then you just might receive some stoning, and the Jews could do that. But they didn't want to stone him. They wanted him dead. And so they, he says, all right, I'll tell you what, I'll give him 40 lashes. So he goes, he gets 40 lashes, he gets a beating, and then comes back, and Pontius Pilate tries to hand him back over. And they're like, no, crucify him, crucify him. And, and uh, at that time, there was like... Um, a custom where someone, a prisoner, could be released. And so Pontius Pilate's like, well, surely you, you don't really want Barabbas. 
who's like a murderer, who murdered children, who, who was a thief and a stealer, who was, who was like an insurrectionist, who did all sorts of horrible things. Surely you don't want to... You know, all this guy's saying is that he, he's, he's going to bring the kingdom of God. Surely you'd rather have him than him. And they're like, no, give us Barabbas. And so Pontius Pilate's like, this is ridiculous. I'm washing my hands of this. Jesus was falsely accused all the way to the cross. And... Um, and uh, Pontius Pilate writes, uh, John records how Pontius Pilate writes on the plaque above Jesus' head. What is his crime? He writes, he's king of the Jews. And you know, he wrote that in Latin, in Greek, and in Aramaic. So if any person from any nation from all the surrounding regions came to see that, they know exactly what his crime was, king of the Jews. And the Pharisees and the religious elite, the Sanhedrin, they came and they said, oh no, can't you change that to say that it says he claimed to be king of the Jews? And Pontius Pilate says, no, I've written what I've written. And this is amazing irony that the king of the Jews who has this crown placed on his head, who dies for um, this sin, this, you know, this accusation of being king of the Jews, was rose again three days later, proved that he was the king, brought it, bringing in his kingdom. At the time that he died, the curtain was torn in two. This is the place into the holy place, making a way so that anyone who put their trust in Jesus can come into God's presence, come into the holy of holies and come and know him to have their sin forgiven and to be restored. And at the end of it all, where Jesus falsely declares and all these people are around him, what does he say to them? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's the same thing that Joseph kind of uttered thousands of years before. What God meant for evil, uh, for what they meant for evil, God meant for good, the saving of many lives. So that even now, today, we can hear this story, we hear about all that Jesus has done, and, and we can have hope and, and know that our sin can be forgiven and we can be restored and we can know God and put our trust in Him and we can have a restored relationship with Him. And so Jesus says, Come and follow me. Where do we follow Him to? We follow Him to the cross. It's a hard road, but in that we can know flourishing, life to the full, joy. It's the kingdom mandate of all that it means to, to know God and to live for him, that there will be times where you face all sorts of different accusations against you. But when you do it on account of Jesus, you know what? He says, oh, I want to be with you. You can rejoice, you can be glad, because you're just following every single other person that's put their trust in Jesus before you, right back from four, 5,000 years ago with Abraham, all the way through uh, following Jesus' example. Let's just get the band back up. One Peter, so Peter, the guy that betrayed Jesus, he, he says this, if you suffer for doing good and you enjoy it, endure it, this is commendable for before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on, in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. There's three bits of application that I just want to bring this morning. The first one is this. You guys can start to play when you're ready. It might be that you've faced some kind of allegations against you and it's just eating you up inside. I just want to encourage you that 
Jesus knows what you've been going through. He identifies with that. He knows exactly what it feels like. I want to encourage you to do all those things that we mentioned earlier, to trust him, to bring it to him, to be honest with God, to keep your integrity, to follow him, to pray, and to trust that he judges justly, that he knows your heart and he knows their heart. So check your own. Forgive your enemies. Do like all the people have done before us. So if you've faced allegations, I want to encourage you this morning to bring it before God, be honest with him and forgive wherever you need to forgive. It might be, second thing, that you've faced true allegations. You've been accused of something and you did actually do it. Or maybe you've done something and actually you've kind of got away with it. Or maybe you've given a false allegation against someone else. And my encouragement to you this morning is to repent, is to say sorry. And you know what? God, who is over all things, he is even able to restore you, to forgive you. He says, whilst we were sinners, we were far from God. Jesus died for us and he will forgive you. And so even you, you can know restoration. You can know acceptance today. And you know what? That might even mean that you need to go and hand yourself in to the police, to whatever authorities. You might need to go and repent. You might need to go and tell your neighbour, colleague, spouse, boss, whoever. And I would encourage, I believe that the gospel mandate is to go and do that, to to have a pure heart. You know, you can't do none of that unless you know you're poor in spirit. Come before God. Trust him, put your trust in him, and then go and make it right. Go and hand yourself in. And then lastly... It might be that you have falsely accused God. It might be that you've said in your heart, oh, if God really, if you loved me, if you understood what I was going through, then you would have done this, this and this. Or you wouldn't have done this, this and this. You might have falsely accused God of all sorts of different things. And I want to encourage you today to come and lay that down. To trust that he can work a good through whatever evil, whatever thing is going, has been going on has happened. Maybe it was millions years ago. That he is a good father and he won't give you a snake. That he, he, he actually wants your flourishing. That doesn't mean that you won't go through hardship. It just means that where you might have accused him of something, maybe you need to just say, oh, God, come to him and now say, God, what can you do through me in this situation. I trust that whatever is going on that you've got it in your hands and that the just judge will put it all right in the end. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. I want you to pray with me and we're going to worship it one more time. We might have a time for a couple of songs as we do that. Father God, as we just look back on your life, Jesus, as we look back on the life of all those different people that have trusted you, all those people that we admire, that, that actually we're going to be inspired about over these next few weeks and months as we hear all these, how inspiring these people are, Lord, we, we recognise and remember actually every single one of them was falsely accused for something, had allegations against them, were insulted in some way. And Lord, I pray for us today in Guildford, in this place, Lord God, wherever we are at home, at work, in our neighbourhoods, 
Lord, I pray, would you give us strength and courage to walk in integrity, to trust you in it all. I pray, Lord God, as we receive false allegations, Lord God, would you help us, Lord God, to trust you in it? Would you help us, Lord God, to see what you might do through those situations? Help us, Lord God, to walk as you would encourage us to walk. Lord, I pray that for those of us that have done things wrong, have falsely accused others, have have got away with things in the past that, that are tearing us up inside. Lord, I, I pray would you help us to repent first of all before you and then towards whoever else we need to repent to. Lord, we trust that even, even through that, Lord God, that you would restore our soul, that you will bring forgiveness, that you would help us, Lord God, to be new. Your word says... What good is it to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Lord, I'd rather gain nothing but know you. Father, for those of us, or God, who maybe have, like David, come before you and said, God, how could you do this? How could you let this happen? Lord, help us, like also like David, to come and realise that you are a just judge, that you've got it all in your hands. Help us, Lord God, to trust in you through it all anyway, to walk in integrity, to be respectful and honest. Help us, Lord God, to to not repay evil with evil, but to turn the other cheek, to be salt and light in this world, to do all those things that the rest of the Sermon on the Mount talks encourage us to do. Help us, Lord God, to be your light in this darkness. Help us, Lord God, to trust you in it all, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.